Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the uh, Wednesday, November 15th edition of the Carolina Weather Group. Tonight, we have on two great guests. We have Diana Thomas, meteorologist for the uh, North Carolina Emergency Management, and John Q, Johnny Q, from the National Weather Service in Columbia, South Carolina. Very happy to have John and Diana on with us tonight and look forward to hearing their expertise on not only how the state prepares, but how the weather service and the state kind of do things hand in hand, making sure that you and your family are prepared whenever um, adverse or, or severe weather affects uh, your area. So looking forward to that. A few housekeeping rules before we do get started. We are live on several platforms, Facebook Live, Periscope, um, YouTube Live, our, our Google Hangouts, so there's many ways that you can watch us, or if you're listening to us on the podcast as well, So, uh, or later on. If you have any questions tonight while you're watching live, feel free to send them our way. You can connect with us uh, on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, Twitter's probably the best way, Carolina WX Group, or you can drop a comment on the Facebook Live, and uh, we'll be monitoring those throughout the night, and we'll let our guests uh, give out their social media accounts or how you best... Uh, can get a hold of them uh, if you are listening to the podcast later on. So that is the housekeeping rules. This is show 206, so uh, we are well over our 200 mark and uh, looking forward to this great show tonight. But before we do that, let's quickly go around the uh, weather uh, desk here and uh, bring in uh, some of our uh, panelists and kind of talk about what's going on in our area. I guess, uh, Ricky, you're the closest to any we uh, weather action today. Like a front's moving through uh, your neck of the woods. Yeah, we had some light rain showers this evening. Nothing too heavy. Uh, I just stood outside in the majority of the front talking to one of my neighbors and uh, didn't get too wet. So it, uh, just a little minor front, getting a little bit of rain today. We're more looking ahead to Saturday with that stronger cold front coming in. And, of course, next week with Thanksgiving, uh, some models flip-flopping a little bit on their solutions, but we'll keep an eye on that. You know, As you well know, up in the mountains here of Tennessee and northwest North Carolina and Virginia, we're uh, always looking for northwest flow snow after a frontal passage, and it looks like Saturday night to Sunday maybe we'll get a little bit of that. Yeah, it is the season of that, and also some gusty winds with uh, with that front moving through. So uh, that'll probably be the story here in the western Carolinas and east Tennessee. Let's go down to the coastal area of South Carolina. Let's bring in Jared Smith, who is in uh, Charleston tonight. Char uh, Jared, is it warm and balmy, or is it kind of cool down there like it is up here? Oh, it's nice and cool. It's uh, got only to 61 today, so that's uh, about 9 degrees below normal, usually around 70 this time of year. We stay a little cool into uh, uh, the weekend, and then uh, just ahead of that cold front, we surge uh, briefly back in the mid-70s, and then back down into the 60s. Haven't had that first frost or freeze yet, though, so um, that's uh, always nice. But yeah, legitimate sweater, sweater weather continues. Um, I'm not complaining. Um, I've had my first complaint on Twitter, so you know that's one of, you know, uh, still a vastly positive response. Uh, come talk to me in January, and we'll let you know how we feel about it then. But for now, it's uh, feeling uh, very much like the how it's supposed to, Scotty. <clears throat> Sounds good. And for you, and I'd, uh, I'll mention here, uh, our buddy Shay Gibson is off tonight. He's speaking with the uh, College of Charleston uh, sailing team, so uh, that's why Shay's not with us tonight. But, uh, Jared, we're counting down the, the final weeks of the uh, tropics, mm -hmm. and it looks like it's kind of quiet for your area. And thank goodness for that. Um, uh, 15 days and counting, not that I am counting. Um, very glad to be getting a break, getting some time to regroup and rejuvenate, and uh, not have to worry about too much more uh, tropical action 
very much excited about getting into some, uh, much rather have wedges of the high pressure kind uh, versus uh, the alternative that we saw earlier in October. So, I agree with that. I wholeheartedly agree with that. So let's go to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. We'll bring in our uh, buddy James Barton. James, how's the weather in the Queen City tonight? You know, it's uh, it's not too bad, Scotty. Uh, I like when the sun is out. I can deal with the cold, but when we're in those wedges and we've got the clouds, that's when I think I need the extra cup of coffee to make through the day. So things are holding out uh, just fine. Uh, 42 degrees here in Charlotte, in case you couldn't tell, or if you're looking for your local temperature, it's at the bottom of our screen. Shout out to Jared for uh, putting the finishing uh, touches on our Carolina Weather Group uh, prototype ticker. Uh, and I thanked him by forgetting to chroma key him. So, Jared, I'm sorry, but uh, next time we come to you, I promise you won't be sitting in front of the green monster. That's okay. Scotty? I do have to give Jared and, and uh, James some some props. They have been working tirelessly, it seems like, the past couple of nights working on this new graphics project. So, gentlemen, thank you from Ricky and I. We appreciate it. So, uh, keep on keeping on. So, let's bring in our guests tonight. We'll bring in Diana and John. Uh, Diana, we'll start with you. Uh, work for the uh, uh, North Carolina Emergency Management as a meteorologist. Welcome to our show, and kind of uh, talk to us about uh, you. Introduce us to you, and maybe your uh, your career path up to uh, your current job. Okay, thank you for having me, guys. Um, as you said, my name is Diana Thomas. I'm I'm here in Raleigh, working for North Carolina Emergency Management. I started in Raleigh quite a few years ago where I got my undergrad at North Carolina State University in meteorology. I um, continued on in education where I, I obtained my master's up at uh, State University of New York in Albany. And right out of um, getting that, I got a job in wind energy where I worked for a few years. And then my husband and I decided to move back home to North Carolina where I got a job in air quality. And then Worked there for a few years and landed myself in emergency management in Raleigh. I guess I need to unmute myself first, but Diana, thank you for that introduction. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's go down to uh, Columbia, South Carolina. John will bring you in. Uh, warning coordinator, meteorolog warning coordinator, meteorologist in the uh, National Weather Service office there in Columbia. Welcome, John. I think this is your first time on the show as well. It is. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we we appreciate it. We always follow you. So, kind of tell us uh, about you, John, uh, to our uh, followers who may not know you. Your your career up to where you are right now in Columbia. Sure, I got my um, bachelor's degree in Stony Brook University up on Long Island, um, and I was fortunate enough to get in the weather service shortly after graduating, and uh, started my career in the uh, Philadelphia Mount Holly office up in New Jersey. Great experience there. I uh, was able to go down as a forecaster to Wilmington, North Carolina. I spent nine years in Charleston, South Carolina as a lead forecaster. Now I've been in the Columbia office since April of last year as a warning coordination meteorologist. And so I've had a lot of great experiences throughout my career and really feel pretty fortunate to, to move around to so many good offices. I was going to say, and it's, it's been quite the uh, past few years for you guys in the Columbia office. We'll uh, dive into that a little bit later on, but uh, we'll, we'll start the conversation here. Ricky and I are going to tag team it. So, uh, my first question for you guys is, uh, when you're looking at the weather models, uh, Diana and, and John, before you know we see the storm hit, we normally have several days to prepare about that. So kind of first tell us about what your job is, what you do, Diana, for the emergency management. And then, John, I'll let you uh, kind of talk about what uh, your uh, warning coordinator meteorologist job is in the office. And then we'll kind of build the platform and move from there. So, Diana, I'll give it to you first. Sure. Well, um, first and foremost, we are really the bridge between 
the weather service or the hurricane center in the event of a hurricane and the public. So we basically analyze the, the data that's available and the, the products that the weather service provides for us. And we generate those into easy to read, easy to digest graphics and um, bullet points really. And um, so we take that information and we, we send it out via email we provide in-person briefings. We are available to the director and senior staff um, at all times, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If they have any kind of questions for any kind of event upcoming, they they have um, they have um, availability to us. And then, uh, so in terms of weather models, we actually do look at those. We we provide them as as some of a, a guide. We don't you know, make our own forecast. We're mandated to use the weather service, but we use them as a guide to the potential outcomes. So like our outliers and, and any kind of extremes that may or may not may come our way. So um, we use that to help keep everyone safe and make the best decisions possible and keep every avenue available. So Diana and John as well, I want to bring you both into this question because with some of the floods we've seen in past years, some of the uh, tropical storms, we've often seen one point of contact referred to at the state level. Um, how do you at emergency management get your information out? And then John, at a National Weather Service level, we've sometimes seen in South Carolina, I remember especially with the floods, how there was almost one main office point of contact, correct me if I'm wrong, that kind of worked together. How do you guys go about working with multiple offices across the state? Do you want to well, for us, we have points of contact at every office around the state, and we also get on chat where if we want to ask any kind of questions, we have an open line of communication with all offices. We can we can call, we can email. Um, we have a spot in our emergency operations center for any weather service personnel to come. Um, we've actually had weather service people. We had Nick Petro attend the press conference that the governor put on for Hurricane Irma. So we really have um, a great dynamic between all of the offices and the the in North Carolina Emergency Management. And in terms of a point of contact, we really have our um, our public information officers, and they really output any kind of um, extreme outreach where we want to reach um, all of the public. Um, we put things on Facebook, uh, Twitter, any kind of social media. They'll they'll push that out. But if we're in terms of making decisions for emergency managers, we we have our area coordinators, our county emergency managers, and we we call them. We send out email with our graphics, any kind of um, information they need through that, and we hold briefings over the phone. We have conference calls. Anything that they really need from us, they'll ask us, and we'll put that on for them. Yeah, uh, Diana got exactly right. I mean, in terms of the weather service being point of contact, I mean, as a warning coordination meteorologist, my everyday job is pretty much uh, being the primary contact or liaison between the weather service and our external partners, whether it be emergency managers, the media, um, uh, schools, uh, anyone else that we have to interact with on a daily basis. Uh, and then certainly when there's hazardous weather that comes in, um, the role kind of transitions uh, to making sure that the partners uh, getting the services that they need, uh, getting weather updates as frequently as possible. So uh, all of my emergency managers have my cell phone number, can reach me or any other managers at my office anytime. Uh, generally encourage them to call the forecast staff and operations if they have just a general weather-related question because 
you know, I, I trust my forecasters to be watching weather and be able to provide really useful information. But when it really comes down to coordinating big events, uh, the warning coordination meteorologists in most offices are the primary contact. And then of course, uh, once we're in the, the, the event itself, um, there's a lot of coordination going on internally within the weather service. Uh, the key is to make sure we're giving a consistent message. What you hear from one office is consistent with what you hear from another office. Uh, and really trying to make it simple for uh, emergency managers and people just like Diana who need to take all this information from various offices and uh, get something useful out of it that they can use to, to make key decisions. What are the most challenging events to kind of coordinate everything on? Or, or is there an event that often gets more publicity or, or is talked about more? I, I think for us, the tropical events have the most coordination. Uh, we see it coming days, weeks, you know, it's seven, 10 days out. People are already starting to watch the models and see things come in. We have a lot of, um, usually a lot of heads up unless something forms right off the coast. So, you know, the, the process for a tropical system, the coordination, the looking at the models start really well in advance. Um, certainly it's going to be the case with a winter storm or severe weather outbreak, but you're probably not looking seven days out for that. We're probably more looking within a two to three day time frame for those kind of events. So it really depends on the event. I think for us, though, it's the tropical events that allow us the, the time to, uh, to get all the preparations in place, to brief the partners, um, and, and really start watching models uh, you know, every day and, and watching how, how they're shifting with track and, and what potential impacts we might expect. How often are those updates sent out to EMs and things like that? Or how often do you guys, Diana, then disseminate that to your state officials? Well, we try not to inundate everyone with any, every update that we have. And with tropical weather, we have um, more regular updates. And with the winter, it's kind of an as-needed basis. So we really just try to, to pass along pertinent information for the decision-making process. So um, that's kind of a, a judgment call. And there's not really a set time frame, really, um, especially in the winter events. And so, so what are some of the primary products that EMs like to get? I know a lot of EMs are maybe more, more well-versed in weather information, some yeah. not as well-versed in weather information. Are there things that they really like to have from the weather service or from you guys? Well, absolutely. There are a lot of things that um, emergency managers really want from us. They, they really are concerned with the primary threats that any kind of event is going to give to them. They want to know the impacts to their area. They want to know what kind of um, heads up they need to give to their public. Um, they need to know the specific locations. Like we deal with North Carolina as a whole, so we need to be specific. Are we dealing with the more, more Western kind of event or a central or a coastal kind of event? They're also, um, they need timing. They need to know if it's gonna be a night event or if it's during the day and that kind of thing. And they finally wanna know the confidence that the Weather Service has in their forecast that they're putting out they want to know if it's going to be, you know, a pretty confident that we're going to have a pretty substantial event that day or if there's some leeway and what could actually happen. So that's really what they're looking for. Yeah, that's a great point. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, I think it's really a great point. Um, and I think the Weather Service is continuing to, to learn what our partners in emergency management really need in terms of products. Um, for example, in Columbia now, um, we're considered a state liaison office since we're in the capital, so we're responsible for uh, making sure that the state gets the services and products that it needs. But one thing we need to do at a state level is create graphics that the state can use. So not just for our local forecast area. So for Columbia, it would just be the Midlands of South Carolina, for example. But we need something that's useful on a, on a state level. So 
that involves coordinating with the other offices that serve the state and creating graphics with all of our forecasts to really give detailed information. Talking about impacts, talking about timing, things that Diana just discussed are, are really important. So I think you look back 10, 15 years ago or more, when I got on the Weather Service, we used to put information out. It used to be an old zone forecast or a forecast discussion, and, and people had to figure it out for themselves. And I think we've really started to transition here in the past five to 10 years to interpreting our forecast and making it in a, a more useful manner for our partners to, to make decisions off of. And John, that, that's a great point, what you and Diana was just talking about. You know, we live in the Carolinas, very adverse weather here. You know, our western part of the state could be dealing with winter weather, while the eastern part of the state uh, could be dealing with severe weather. So does that, how, how much of a strain does that put on you guys in the, in, in the offices there? Uh, trying to prepare maybe your western areas for the possibility of some snow or sleet and your easternmost coastal portions in North and South Carolina for severe weather. Yeah, I think that's the benefit of having the local office structure like we do. Some people might say, well, you have four offices, for example, in South Carolina covering the state and, and is that really needed? But that's the benefit of having these local offices and the local experts. So, for example, we have a snow event in the upstate. The Greenville-Spartanburg office can really focus on that and be briefing their partners on that threat, where if you have a severe threat now down along the coast on the same day, the Charleston office can be briefing their partners on the severe potential. And then um, in Columbia, we could kind of give a broad picture to the state emergency manager as to what to expect, but the local offices really could be the expert in their area and make sure their, uh, their local partners, whether it be emergency managers or anyone else, gets the information that they really need. And yes, just to add to that on the EM side, sorry to, to cut you off, um, we will send out uh, information on a state, kind of um, statewide, and we can get our area email addresses or phone numbers and send out kind of location sensitive or specific emails. So like if we have a Western Branch event, we can, we can contact all of them. And, and give them specifics on what's coming their way and then conversely do it for the coastal region. So we can give a broad sense to everyone statewide and then kind of hone in on, on what we need to tell certain people and not inundate with their inboxes with information that's not pertinent to their, their um, activities. So yeah, uh, going back a little bit to talking about um, the statewide coordination, I know one thing that has been a, a real uh, a very helpful thing in the last couple, you know, with uh, the, uh, you know, the 2016 Matthew and, and 2017 Irma uh, is, is having John up there, at least from my perspective in South Carolina, having John up there uh, next to the governor giving the weather briefing so it's not being distilled. Um, John, can you talk a little bit about how that uh, came about? Because I feel like that that hasn't always been the way uh, it's been uh, when we have these statewide events. Yeah, sure. So uh, about the time I started in the Columbia office, um, actually almost the entire management staff um, had retired um, within the past year. So there's really no management staff. So we had a whole new management staff come in and we really made it a priority to make sure we were supporting um, our emergency managers during these events going on site um, and making sure our forecasters were prepared to do the same. And uh, there was a lot of work that went on in the background. We um, you know, the key is always building these relationships with our partners, um, working with them ahead of time, getting to know each other. That's, that's really critical, building that trust. Um, but we also had to coordinate uh, between all the offices. And um, I have to say we have some great offices serving uh, the Carolinas and especially here in South Carolina. Um, we have meetings uh, with all the management staff. 
we're all on the same page. Um, our goal is not to compete against the other office. It's to make sure we're getting the best information out there. So um, by building those relationships, we were invited in, uh, just like North Carolina, uh, uh, you know, says they have Nick Petro show up in the, the Raleigh office. Uh, South Carolina said, hey, you always have a seat at the, at the table here if you want to come in, and we, we took them up on that. And uh, I think most people find that once the weather service is there on site providing support, it's a service they really can't do without in the future because uh, that face-to-face -face communication during a hazardous weather event is ideal. Um, going through our remote briefings, you just don't get the same effect, but being there with the people making the decisions and aiding them is, is really critical. So uh, once we got in there, I mean, I really appreciate what South Carolina Emergency Management has done, allowing us to come in there and, and um, and they saw the benefit, and we started briefing the governor, and, and they had asked us to go into the press conferences. And, and that's really a big thing, like you had mentioned, um, Jared, because, you know, sometimes a politician isn't a meteorologist, and you can't expect them to, to know the weather. It's just not what they're supposed to be doing. And you always find that, you know, they'll get something wrong, or, um, and you can't blame them. But when they're getting the information from the weather service, or it's a meteorologist that's actually briefing the weather information, I think you lose... Um, some of that potential for miscommunication when you're talking about things like hurricanes and evacuations, the last thing you want is mixed messages out there. So really it's just been a tremendous team effort, especially down here in South Carolina between all the weather forecast offices and state emergency management. I, I want to jump back just a moment uh, if we can and talk about uncertainty. We had discussed, you know, how some of these outlooks are sent out, but one of the things I think has really been up in communication over the past couple of years has been our conversation of uncertainty. John, how do you guys convey the uncertainty to the EMs? And then Diana, how do you guys then get that message out to your partners? Yeah, I think we've, we've explored with different ways. And sometimes that's a really difficult thing to explain the uncertainty to somebody. Is it, uh, you know, cause sometimes if the event happens, it could be a really bad event. I'm confident that if the hurricane comes here, it's gonna be very bad, but I'm not sure, is it gonna track here? Or the winter storm, if the cold air gets in and we get enough snow, it's going to be a major event for us. But if the timing's just off with this, you know, uh, storm tracks to the west 50 miles, we may not see anything. So it's always a little tricky to describe uncertainty to people. But um, we try to do it multiple ways. We try to do it graphically, kind of show the potential impact and then the confidence. Um, so that's one way that we'll do it. Um, but of course, that has to be factored in. And when you're looking, and Diana probably could speak to this better than I could, but for tropical, when you're talking about coastal evacuations, decisions have to be made days before a potential landfall. In fact, in South Carolina, most of the time, the decision to evacuate the coast has to be done the day before any kind of um, tropical storm or hurricane watches are even issued. So, you know, you still at that point where there's plenty of uncertainty in the forecast, yet these critical decisions that cost millions of dollars potentially disrupt people's lives all have to be made days in advance. So uh, it's, it's really just, um, uh, you know, I, I think we're fortunate because our emergency management partners understand the weather pretty good and they know what's going on. So when we try to explain that we're watching this, if it goes this way, this might happen. Um, don't focus on just that single line on the hurricane track. We have to look at the cone and the, the impacts could be larger. They get that. The, the bigger issue is communicating that sometimes to the public so that, you know, they take the proper actions. Yeah, on our end, for the most part, we we read their discussions and we discuss the, the forecast with the forecasters and we pretty much give that information to emergency managers and we answer their questions and we give them all the information we have because we we feel like we need them to have that to make the best decision and like john was saying they understand uncertainty and 
they understand that we understand that they need this information days in advance. So we're giving them the best that, that, that we can. And um, we did just have our hurricane evacuation study wrap up. So we have that information in our pockets as well. So um, it's really just leaning on that relationship that we have with the weather service. And we really give everyone all the information that we can um, and really just help them make the best decision and keep everyone safe. Keep in mind that we can't evacuate every time or, you know, you could have the, the, the wolf scenario, boy crying wolf, but um, we really just are out there to keep everybody safe. And, and if I could add to that too, um, I'll actually thank Hunter for uh, reminding me, uh, but we have a, uh, back in my office, he's helping me out here. Uh, but the benefit is uh, we're actually trying probabilities a little bit, and it's sometimes hard for the public to understand, but uh, with um, hurricanes, for example, you can see the tropical storm force wind probabilities or the probabilities of hurricane force winds. And those numbers themselves may not mean a whole lot to some people, but you could see the trends. Are the trends increasing for tropical storm or for hurricane force winds? That's a sign that maybe we need to be you know, keeping a closer eye on the system. When it comes to winter weather, for example, uh, this year, um, I believe all the offices serving South Carolina will be um, starting a new experiment using uh, snowfall probabilities and we'll be giving uh, an expected snowfall amount, which is our typical forecast. And then we're also going to have two other forecasts. One will be a low end, one will be a high end. And it's using multiple ensemble members. Um, and it looks at um, the, uh, you know, if 90% of the models, let me get that right. If, uh, yeah. So for the high end, it's showing 90% of the models are, are showing um, amounts that high and 10% are higher than that. And on the low end, um, you know, only 10% of the model is going to be lower than what we're showing in that low-end forecast. And what that really does is allows um, you to factor in the timing differences in a winter storm or, um, you know, a, a shift in track of the low um, because of all the different model ensembles, how they get brought in. So I, I think it's just another way. It's not just giving you a forecast of two inches of snow, but we're saying, hey, the potential is there for five inches if the storm tracks a little farther east and the cold air makes it in here, for example. So I think we're really trying to find different ways and really find ways that work to convey uncertainty. So you guys were, were talking about uncertainty. So let's, let's say the event is, is certain to hit. Uh, John, you, you, you have that seat in, in South Carolina and Diana, you're, you're working in the EOC. What, what is it like the day of the operation, the day of the storms hitting? What, what are your duties? What are, what, what do you guys do to provide information, John, maybe to the, the governor or, or Dinah? What are you doing to provide information in the EOC? Sure. Well, the day of is, is really chaotic, as you can probably imagine. We are probably gearing up for a press conference, and so we will give uh, an in-face one-on-one briefing to the governor. We will tell him exactly what we're expecting, and, and we will convey those uncertainties that we were just talking about. We will create any kind of graphics that will aid in any kind of actions that the managers need to take. We will hold conference calls. We will call people directly. We will have our weather service conference calls where they're getting us more um, information or any updates or changes. And then we're having another call conveying that information even further. So a lot of phone calls. Uh, a lot of emails, a lot of in-face um, briefings and all kinds of communication and just steadily watching the weather, what it's actually doing um, and how it actually plays out. Yeah, it's pretty similar in um, South Carolina when I'm there working at the state. 
Uh, it's a very busy day. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't have much time to actually look at the weather. I'm relying on uh, the stuff I'm receiving from the Hurricane Center and coordinating with offices. So, for example, my day will consist of uh, getting in there. I am on NWS chat with all the surrounding offices. In fact, we have a private chat room set up in South Carolina that we used to coordinate, and it's all the uh, offices in the state are on there. The Hurricane Center has a coordinator for us. That they're usually in that room. Our regional headquarters is in there. If there's someone from the weather services at FEMA, they're in that room usually. So we have this big internal chat room going on where we're talking about messaging and uh, what we think the main impacts will be. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. I'm sometimes having conference calls on the side with the Hurricane Center, talking to the storm surge unit about what we can expect. And then, of course, um, at, at the uh, EOC itself, there's multiple briefings going on a day. We have calls with um, all the county emergency managers at least twice a day. Um, as we get closer to the event, we're briefing the governor once or twice a day. And these briefings are sometimes an hour long each. Uh, we're providing briefings out into uh, the emergency operations center itself with all the emergency response team there. And that happens during every shift change or sometimes even in the middle of a shift to keep everyone updated. Um, we're trying to work with the PIO in the state to, to make sure we're, we're messaging things uh, properly and we have a consistent message between the weather service and state emergency management. So it is pretty much going nonstop from the moment you walk in to the moment you leave. Uh, for me, it, it could be 12, 14, 16 hour days there doing that with very little time to actually look at the weather. Most of it's just coordinating and trying to make sure we have a good message to, to get out. And then, of course, the, the press conferences that um, I've participated in South Carolina have been a great opportunity to make sure we get a, a good message out to the public that's well coordinated between all the offices and uh, really kind of helps people know what's going to go on. So when the governor gives the order to evacuate, for example, um, people have a good feeling for what they can expect and hopefully are, are more likely to take action. So, so I want to segue just a moment here. Uh, we're getting closer to 9 o'clock, about 15 minutes left here. Let's talk a little bit uh, about the hurricane plans you guys have talked about. Diana, you brought that up once or twice. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how I know North Carolina kind of leads the way, maybe next to Florida or maybe North Carolina leads the way. We'll, we'll say leads the way. We like Carolina leads the way on hurricane preparedness and uh, stuff like that. Right. So the hurricane evacuation study was a, a long time coming. They had a lot of meetings with the coastal counties and with um, there was a lot of back and forth conversation about how they wanted to draw certain kind of boundaries. So basically it takes all kinds of um, so a few categories of, not necessarily just the categories of, of hurricanes, you know, five, but um, kind of breaks them down into subcategories of an upper and a lower. And kind of, it takes the areas on the coast and it gives us evacuation times and say, if we have a Cat 1 coming, it's going to take you X amount of time to evacuate this many people. And so it kind of gives you the amount of time that you need of a lead time to say, we need to evacuate these people now. We have this intensity of a storm coming our way. And it's basically in a table form and you can kind of pinpoint where it is. And you, we have maps of, of, of areas where, um, where we tell a group of people that they need to evacuate based on whichever type of storm we have coming our way. And it's very, it's like a 500 page document. It explains a whole bunch of stuff, but that's basically the gist of it. How detailed are the uh, surge maps that the state level gets? I know the, the ones that come out publicly from the Hurricane Center are more coarser resolution. Do you guys get almost street level kind of mapping or what's the resolution? For us, we have our in-house FINA network 
flood inundation mapping network and we use that quite heavily and we're we're able to see real-time gauge levels and we can actually get um, a cross-sectional view and we can see how how we're expecting the inundation to happen so that's a very um, very good tool that we have in our pockets and John, for hurricane preparedness and hurricane preparations, now that we're almost wrapping up 2017, wrapping up the hurricane season, what are you guys doing uh, working with your partners to almost look ahead to the next season already, perhaps? Yeah, exactly. It, it really never stops for us. Um, we work with the state. We're already trying to set up um, what the week will be next week. Uh, sorry, next year for South Carolina Hurricane Awareness Week. Um, this, the state meets to, to talk about their hurricane plan. Um, almost every couple of months, um, starting I believe in February again, we're gonna start meeting and talking about the tropical plans and, and what needs to change. So there's constant meetings with all the county and state emergency managers, the weather service to make sure we're on the same page. And then of course you have the public outreach aspect of things. Um, we're trying to make sure the public's always aware of the threats as we head into the start of hurricane season. So uh, it's really almost a year long process for us. It really never stops. Um, it's, it's just, um, it's probably one of the bigger threats that, that the state faces as well. So we really take it seriously when it comes to making sure that the plans are solid that we're everyone's using and that the public has the information they need when they, you know, uh, when we get into hurricane season to make good decisions. And Diana, I assume the off season is kind of the busy planning time for you guys as well. It is. It is. When we don't have our meteorological hats on, we have our planning hats on and we're, we're preparing and we're, we're performing outreach and trying to just um, get everybody ready for, some sort of hazard that's going to eventually head their way. Better than a stupid hat, right? From <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty, anything? Yeah, I, I was wanting to, we were talking about preparing and stuff, but uh, two storms come to mind that I, I think both of you guys had to really deal with, and obviously uh, the 2015 flood uh, in South Carolina from Charleston up to Columbia, and then Hurricane Matthew last year. Can both of you guys just kind of, Maybe take us, uh, kind of take us back into what was going on that day for you guys. Maybe just some personal memories and, and recollection of, of what your experiences were during those events. Uh, for me, uh, when you look back at the floods in October 2015, I was still a lead forecaster down in the Charleston office, and that was probably one of the biggest events I've had to work in my career uh, in the forecast office. The, um, you know, you. We knew it was going to be a big event, and we were we were talking about it, you know, historic and life-threatening flash flooding days in advance. But uh, you know, when you see models showing potential for you know 20, 25 inches of rain, it's just something we don't see, and we really don't know what the impacts of that are going to be because we haven't experienced that, and that makes it really difficult. How bad can this really get? And um, you know, I remember working through that event, um, and um, the night going on, we just see this rain coming in, and. And we start getting frantic calls from our emergency managers talking about the flooding and needing swift water rescues and not being able to get to people. And uh, that sticks with me. We, we lost our phone service. We we're on cell phones trying to talk to our emergency managers and uh, getting the flash flood emergencies out and uh, trying to make sure we were keeping people updated on social media. And uh, it's a great staff down there. And I was really proud to, to work with that group uh, during that event because I really thought we did a great job. And I know in the Columbia office, they had the same thing going on. Um, big impacts, dams failing all over the place, um, just loss of in infrastructure. And uh, it's a really stressful event. And, and in the Columbia office, they were short-staffed. Um, actually, my position, my uh, uh, the, um, person in my position previously actually retired and had to leave that night of the flooding at midnight um, is the way it worked. So they were really short-staffed and had people from other offices coming in to help. 
And, you know, for Matthew, to me, I think the biggest part of that was just the teamwork involved, um, the coordination, um, working with all the offices. You know, um, it, was, it was a big event for the state. We hadn't had something like that in a while. So just the, the feeling of pride for what the Weather Service was able to do and how well we worked, uh, not only within the agency, but also with our partners. John, real quick, I want to jump in here because you mentioned flash flood emergency. Is that something that's usually requested from emergency managers or is that the product you guys are more deciding there at the office level? More deciding at the office level. Uh, to be honest with you, though, I don't even know if a lot of our emergency managers even knew it existed, to be honest with you. We've never had to issue it before. It's nothing I've ever done in my career. Um, so, you know, we just realized the magnitude of this event was larger than anyone's ever seen before. And if we're going to use it, it met all the criteria. Let's get something else. Let's try to hide in the awareness of how bad the situation was. So uh, that's really what it came down to there. And we had a group discussion in the office. Do we go with one now? You know, you don't want to cry wolf, but we knew it was bad and we knew it was only going to get worse. So that's kind of how that decision came about. Gotcha. Right. Thank you, Diana. Is sure. there memories you had there? Sure. So for the 2015 flood, that was largely um, a South Carolina event. Uh, we did send some some crews for the EMAC, and we helped out there. But otherwise, we didn't. It wasn't a, a huge event in our in our, our respect. But Matthew certainly was. Um, so leading up to the storm, you know, we have those the days on of it's going to track here, it's going to track there, and it just wavered. And we really kind of they didn't people kind of let their guard down in a sense that they thought we were in the clear, even though we were, the forecast wasn't wrong. We were well within the forecast cone and kind of like John was saying, that was a lot of rain that was forecast. And we really only had Floyd in our memories that was still a, a good storm, but it was more than that. And so we, it was really just, you know, the, the chaos of all these briefings and, and trying to get people back into, hey, this is going to be a big deal. And um, at the end of the day, it really brought more light to having that cone um, just not being, trying to convey that it's not an impact cone and that you need, you need to be vigilant in, in any kind of uh, forecasting updates that occur. And also it brought to light, you know, more the possibility of inland flooding and what the rivers can do with that, that vast amount of rain. And, and not that storm surge isn't a big deal. I mean, obviously it is, but just the inland flooding has, has its place too. And we need to kind of, kind of take a look at that as well. And Diana, um, while that was going on, October was a crazy, right. October yes. was, was crazy for North Carolina. Because on the east part of North Carolina, we had devastating flooding. Right. On the western part, the state was on fire. So how did you guys, <laughs> how was you managing that? I mean, we were over here in the western part breathing in smoke for, you know, many days. I mean, that had to be uh, uh, just, you know, a trying time for your office. Yes, a lot of coffee and Red Bull and a lot of anything else that would give you energy. Yeah, I think, you know, we were activated for a really long time, for weeks and weeks, probably felt like months for most. And, you know, we just sometimes activated for more than one thing at the same time. And we just really pulled together and, and worked together as a team and, and came out on the other side. Yeah, I was just, you know, Ricky, Ricky and I, we were watching it at the Speedway and we went to, uh, was it Lumberton, Ricky? Um, yeah, we did, you know, what they tell us not to do. We went down there, we were flooding, <laughs> we were down there on this, but 
And then a and then a couple of days later, you know, we were engulfed with wildfires, and I knew even even Ricky and them experienced some smoke up there. But uh, we do bad. we do it's have back to Greenville. That's right. That's right. Uh, we do have a viewer question before we uh, end up. Like, uh, right quick, let me pull it up. Uh, this is from our uh, friend Craig Cece, who uh, watches us all the time. Uh, he says, a question for both of you guys. What event do you fear the most for your regions? Is it something like uh, a repeat of Hurricane Hugo or Hazel, or is it something else that uh, that you really are, are, are maybe not fearful, but something that you, you kind of perks your interest as, uh, as something that may cause some, some craziness in, in your jobs that you guys do? Wow. <laughs> well, I guess I guess for us, you know, we are natural hazards, but we also have to deal with the unforeseen um, kind of potential. So we actually activated for the pipeline disturbance or and the, the disturbance in Charlotte last year. So I guess in, in my mind, at least maybe it's because of my my position but I feel like the natural disasters we can somewhat prepare for um, but it could be those things that we don't see coming up that disturbance in Charlotte that could have pretty pretty heavy consequences um, kind of come up or, or be more large-scale or um, you know possibly even a wildfire that came about and was more more long-scale long-term and larger scale how big are um, heat and cold events? Well, we do we do broadcast those uh, those heat warnings and cold cool warnings. So, um, I mean, we we know about them and we extend those warnings. So, I I think that doesn't quite stick out in my mind as being something that would be the most worrisome. But yeah, we we do extend those out to the public. Gotcha. I know some of the, the weather service data over the years has shown, and John, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you know heat's one of the number one killers more than kind of floods and tornadoes. So I was curious if on a state level, that's something you guys, uh, you know, almost have a bigger threat of perhaps. Yeah, I know um, uh, if you look at, we do have heat related fatalities in the state, of course, but um, when you really look at the numbers, I think we find uh, a larger concentration of those fatalities in some of the bigger cities uh, Philadelphia, Chicago, during these big uh, heat waves that they have up there where people don't have air conditioning, uh, big urban centers. Um, so while it is a risk here, I think people are a little bit more acclimated to the heat. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that it can't get bad around here, but um, I generally don't see that being our biggest threat, in at least in South Carolina. Just another sweltering day in the Carolinas. <laughs> Just get used to it. It's, it's July or August in, uh, in the South. You know, it is what it is sometimes, but... What is it they they say Columbia is the hottest city in the world, you know, in the summertime? <laughs> it is. I actually think um, our science and operations officer, Frank Alsheimer, had uh, taken a look. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think he said Columbia actually is the hottest city east of the Mississippi. So uh, I don't know if we like that honor or not, but <laughs> let's get out here. I could confirm that. <laughs> Famously hot. Exactly. That's why we have the slogan. It's true. All right, guys. Well, we'll uh, we'll end on this. Uh, one other thing. It seems like October in the Carolinas is always crazy. Matthew and then the 2015 flood. But I'll, briefly, if you guys uh, have any stories, you know, this this year uh, with 2017 in October, we had to deal with tornadoes uh, in, in South and North Carolina. So, uh, how was how was that for you guys? Uh, kind of dealing with those two 
I, I don't know if I want to call it outbreak, but it's very unnormal for for the Carolinas to have that many tornadoes, uh, you know, anytime. But uh, especially here in the month of October. So, kind of talk to us briefly about what you guys experienced through that, and then we'll end the show. Uh, for for me, yeah, we uh, fortunately in the Columbia area, we only had a couple of tornadoes um, uh, back in October, maybe just one actually. I know the Greenville Spartanburg office got hit really hard though in the upstate of South Carolina. And I was just talking to my counterpart, uh, Tony Sturry, at a conference um, over the past couple of days, and they were just talking about, you know, just uh, the number of tornadoes and all the surveys they had to do. And they had some tornadoes that crossed track, um, and just the difficulty of going out there and surveying. Um, that's a lot of times a difficult part. Obviously, working the events hard enough, and then we have to go out after the fact and go and, and look at all the damage and assess and uh, determine the strength of the tornadoes. That's often difficult, and. You know, I have to say we're not out of the woods, uh, even though we're in this La Nina winter and it's calling for maybe warmer, slightly drier. A lot of times we find that we can get ice storms in La Nina winters, and we also get severe weather in La Nina winters, or maybe both going out at the same time, you know, uh, ice in the upstate and severe weather in, in the lower part of the state. So um, it's something we're going to have to keep an eye on, you know, certainly throughout the winter, I think. And Diane, well, yeah, go ahead. Sure. For us, it was... Um you know, it's just a much smaller uh, time frame and scale. So we really just did our, our normal conveyance of the hazards and the impacts and the locations and, and honed in on the western part of the state in the most recent events. And uh, on a personal account, it was really interesting for me because I was able to kind of connect the, the Weather Service survey crew and an area coordinator because he was the area coordinator for Hickory and he wanted to go out and 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 couple with the survey crew and it was just it was it was awesome part of my job to be able to do that and to connect someone who needed to to help his his population and and get with the science side at the weather service so yeah i i can speak for one i'm tired of damage surveys so i'm good if we don't have any more for a while so we'll we'll end on that so i do want to give you guys the opportunity to promote uh, maybe any social media or or uh websites that you guys uh, would like to promote for for the folks of North and South Carolina. Uh, Diane, I'll start with you first. Sure. Everywhere on Twitter and Facebook, we have North Carolina Emergency Management. We push any and all updates there. So um, follow that. All right. And John? Sorry, I was there. Yeah, for me, um, you can follow me at jquagliarello, which is Q-U-A-G-L-I-A-R-I-E. L-L-O, um, not super active on Twitter, but I do follow things more. Um, but actually, the best way to get information is through your local weather service office. So um, I highly suggest uh, you follow your local office. Um, everyone works real hard to get good information out there on social media and keep people updated. Um, there's other great sources out there, like Jared. Um, but of course, uh, all your local offices are working real hard. So follow us on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, you know, we, we do our best to update throughout the day, and especially during bigger events. And if you didn't catch John's last name, it's on our Twitter account, Carolina Weather Group. Thanks. That's right. <laughs> All right, well, guys, uh, thank you for that. Uh, stick around if you want to. Uh, we do Tweet of the Week, so uh, if you want to stick around for that or even participate, you are uh, more than happy to do that. But uh, I'll toss it over to our panelists. Anybody have theirs pulled up yet? Or Hey, that's the thing I forgot to get. Give me a I've moment. Got, I've got mine right now. I'm All right, ready. James, go I ahead, am James. not slacking this week. James, um, you stole mine. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. All right. Should I go the one I actually called dibs on? No, go ahead. I, I've got a backup. See, see go earlier today, for anybody that watches the show, we know <laughs> last week we had an incident where two guys had the same one. So earlier I called dibs on a certain water bottle gif, <laughs> but I didn't want to kind of, in hindsight, go into the political realm. So I found another one, but apparently it's also Scotty's. But no, so, it's okay. Um, it was It was one of mine, but I've got a backup, so go ahead. Well, if you can pin me on YouTube, I'll go ahead and punch it up over here on my side. Um, but uh, there was a big uh, warehouse fire today uh, in St. Louis. And this picture from KMOV uh, shows the... Oh, no, this is actually funny. Um, technical gaff as we are working through our new graphics package here. This is the same source I used to key Jared. So I'm looking at the tweet and I'm going... Why can't I see the smoke plume in the form of precipitation? And it's because it's getting keyed out because it's green. <laughs> Way to go, Jared. Way to go. Jared, it's, it's all your, your fault, fault man. man. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. There we go. I'll, I'll fix. So there it goes. Anyway, there was a big fire and there were spots of smoke. And like typical, when there's lots of fire and lots of smoke, it shows up on, on radar. I'm sorry, um, Scotty. I, I stole yours. Do you want me to go do the water bottle one? I'll do the water bottle one yeah. instead. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> all right. Let's go, to, uh, let's go to Ricky. Ricky. Oh, you're presenting, so go ahead. There we go. I had to unmute the mic. I thought this was a neat tweet earlier. It's from uh, UCAR News. They had a little weather... Thing going on Twitter today, a little presentation they're given, and this really just shows how the hurricanes track can have a significant impact on the storm surge totals and the overall impact you eventually get. Uh, you know, something we see often here in North Carolina, even with the Outer Banks versus Sound Side or Ocean Side flooding. Same kind of deal here with Irma. Look at the track that it took and what the surge would have been if it had taken a slightly different track, and how much higher that surge would have been there in that right front quadrant. Uh, up and towards the Naples area and uh, portions of the southwest Florida coastline. So interesting tweet, I thought. And if you've never downloaded the Slosh model, uh, download it. Play around with it a little bit. It's interesting to see how much your city will be destroyed, depending on the storm strength. Uh, across Hampton Roads especially, I've looked at it. And some of the weirdest surges actually come from a paralleling storm off the coast because of how the Chesapeake Bay works with uh, us in coastal Virginia. So neat stuff. All righty, let's go to Jared. Jared. So uh, in order to avoid the potential for anybody to take my tweet of the week, I have an account of the week. Um, the National Weather Service uh, Operations Proving Ground is holding a Go 16 workshop. You know, this is going to go, this is, uh, Go 16 is going to start its drift to Operational Goes East at the end of the month uh, on the 30th. So... Uh, lots of great, great information. If you have any interest in satellite meteorology or just want to just stare at uh, awesome AWIPS 4 panels, um, this is uh, just, just browse at NWSOPG and use the hashtag Go16Workshop. Uh, just some phenomenal information uh, being shared out of there. They have YouTube streams and all sorts of really good stuff to check out. So, uh, Highly geeky, highly wonderful. It was a great way to spend my lunch break, and uh, definitely recommend it. Cool stuff. Well, let me uh, share mine right quick. Okay, can you guys see mine? Yes. Yes. 
All right, so this is from the Capital Weather Gang. Uh, this is kind of just a time lapse of the wildfire and tropical season. Uh, this is just a short little component of it. You can uh, see my Twitter page, or we'll tweet it out from the Carolina Weather Group. You can uh, visit the entire uh, the website and look at the entire thing. But uh, pretty cool. It shows you uh, the smoke from the wildfires out west and uh, some of the dust coming off of Africa and even the uh, tropical systems as they uh, go into the coastline. So that is my tweet of the week. And um, stop, stop sharing. And Diana or John, you guys have one? I don't want to leave you out if you do. I do not. All right. Yeah, I have one. Let me um, share my screen here. Um, all right. This is a Pokemon office, and technically it's like seven days old, but I'm still going to use it because this is pretty cool. Um, we had one of our cooperative weather observers get an award last, uh, last week for providing 55 years of service um, of observations to us every day for 55 years, and her family's been sending in observations since 1893. So as much as we appreciate our storm spotters, um, this is true dedication for, for a family to be, and not only helping the weather service, but you know the whole community and the, uh, establishing a good climate record. It's just really incredible. So I just wanted to uh, send a thanks there to uh, Mrs. Jarreau um, for all of her work, and it's just pretty incredible to, to, to see something like that. I saw your office tweet about that last week, and I thought that was really cool. So um, very neat. All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you again, Diana and John, for joining us. Maybe we can get you guys back on the show at some point. I do want to say uh, next week's show, uh, Ricky, are we? how are we looking for Jamie? Are we? I will let you know when I check in with him in about 20 minutes when I send him a text. Okay, so we may have Jamie Morrill next week. Uh, I think he's moving to the Raleigh office, correct? He's switching offices. He's moving to Raleigh's uh, from the Blacksburg office. So yes. he told me he'd be on as long as he could get internet set up as his, at his apartment. Um, so I haven't heard the status on that yet, but I'll check in with him. All right, so we may have Jamie on, or you may just hear us talking. So uh, after that, though, we do have kind of a, wow, a big list. Uh, Jim Cantori will join us. On the 29th of November, I recap in the 2017 tropical season. And then on December the 6th, we have Tom Johnstone and Jeff Evans. Uh, both are uh, um, weather office, uh, weather service office in uh, Houston and Corpus Christi. Uh, they will be joining us to kind of talk about the, uh, the before and during and after Hurricane Harvey uh, as we uh, kind of dive into uh, Hurricane Harvey. And then after that, we have Ashley Morris, emergency manager. Schmidt, uh, uh, officer, or I think, I'm not sure what her title is. I don't want to say officer, but she works in the emergency management office uh, out of uh, Harrison County, Texas. And then as we uh, wrap up 2017, uh, Marshall Shepard will join us um, for uh, a recap of the uh, 2017 weather season. It's Marshall's uh, annual appearance on our show, so we're excited to have them. And that's it for the rest of the year. So. Uh, just a few more shows before we uh, close out 2017, and we are already working on 2018 schedule, so uh, looking forward to that. So for everyone watching the Carolina Weather Group, we appreciate it. Uh, share the word. Uh, share our Twitter account and our Facebook account. Make sure you download us on Apple or your Google Play Store, and uh, you guys stay uh, warm out there this weekend as the uh, cool blast comes in, and we will see you next Wednesday night here on the Carolina.